0: participating however we're committed however we're devoted to the church it is in many ways in many instances in many iterations it's not just on Sunday mornings it's on Wednesday nights in prayer it's coming to life group it's being committed to a group of people for a season of eight or ten weeks and meeting together outside of Sunday mornings there's all kinds of ways in which we can express our devotion and commitment to the church But ultimately, when we're talking about some of the things that we are this morning, some of the things that we're talking about, the the content or the substance that we've been covering really takes place majority here on Sunday mornings. But you can receive it at any point in time as you are committed to the body. So we're looking at a structure, as we have been over the last many weeks and uh, the structure looks like this. We're looking at the source of the church and why that should be a motivating factor for us to love the church. We're looking at the substance of the church and the same reason why that should motivate us to love the church. We're looking at the sacredness of the church. Well, we, we will be doing that and understanding why the sacredness of the church is a reason why we must love the church. And so this morning we're looking again at the substance of the church. We've looked at the source of the church, and primarily we've talked about how Jesus is the source, the foundation of the church. We looked at Matthew chapter 16 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we saw how Jesus said he's building his church, that man is not building the church, Christ is building the church. And we looked at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, where Paul says that Christ is the foundation of the church, that it's not only built by Christ, but it's built on Christ. And so that is the reason why we must love the church. And we've looked at over the many weeks the substance of the church. Why it is that the substance of the church is so important in our devotion to the church. The substance of the church. We looked at the idea of um, its content, uh, its important features. It's beneficial qualities, it's significance. What is it about the church that provides beneficial qualities? What are the features of the church that benefit the Christian? And so we looked at these ideas. The truth is supported and protected and guarded in the church as a means of its substance. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We looked at how God's word is publicly declared in the church. uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And then we looked at how the believer is sanctified and trained in godliness in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And then last week we looked at how the believer experiences assurance of salvation as it participates in the church and is devoted to the church. And that is in 1 Timothy chapter 4 as well. We're going to continue in 1 Timothy this morning, but we're going to be in chapter 6. So if you guys would like to turn with me there to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to look at a text here. It's a long text, and I've actually decided to break this up into two parts. So I'll give you the first part this week, and I'm going to give you the second part next week. As I was preparing this week for this message, I was was going through the Scriptures and studying them and understanding what it is that God was saying in them. Uh, My desire and my aim and my goal is to give you the plain sense of what God is saying. I don't want to make up anything when I bring the Word of God to you. I don't want to import my own opinions. On this, I don't want to speculate about what God is saying, but my job is to accurately tell you, hopefully to the best of my ability, what it is that the text is saying. I don't want to make something up, I don't want to put something in that's not there, and I definitely don't want to not share with you something that is there. So as I was studying this morning and throughout the week, I thought to myself, oh gosh, there's a lot here. So we're gonna do this in two parts, one this week and one next week. But ultimately, this is what I wanna share with you this morning out of 1 Timothy chapter six, that the Christian must love the church because it provides spiritual stability in the truth of the gospel. So as we come and we hear the features, and the dy- dynamics of Christ's gospel when it's proclaimed and declared in the church, it provides essential spiritual stability that you will get nowhere else. Nowhere else. So turn with me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2 2 through 4. We're going to go through uh, 2 through 10, but right now we're going to kind of focus on uh, verses 2 to 4. And I want you to see three things here that Paul points out to Timothy uh, with regards to what he's saying in this text. First thing that Paul... uh, that Paul uh, emphasizes is a consistent attention to sound teaching, a consistent emphasis on sound teaching. This is the first thing that Paul posits in this text. The second thing he focuses on is a sober warning against false teaching. So he talks about how it's important to be consistent in paying consistent attention and attending to good, sound teaching. And then he also warns the church about the incoming influx, the proliferation of false teachers and false teaching that will come and try to infiltrate the church. And then finally, we'll look at the ingredients of false teaching and teachers. That will be reserved mostly for next week, but we'll touch on it a little bit in this session. So let's read it, and then... Let's dive in. Let's dive into the text. There's so much gold in here to be extracted. There's so much life in this. It's like, I think about this sometimes. When I, when I read the word of God, and I desire to know what God is saying, it's like my empty bucket just being dropped into an infinite well of pure water. It's where I get my nourishment. It's where I get my sustenance. It's where my thirst is completely, completely done away with. I thirst for God, but I thirst for the truth. And when I come to the text and I read and I understand and I have an understanding in a sense, it is like drinking from an unending well of goodness and joy that brings life and brings stability. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word, God, that you have given us. For your revealed word, word, God, that we can stand on, that we can be stable on. God, that provides the utmost stability and structure and form to our lives. God, we test everything by your word. God, it is your word that explains all things. It is, is your word that brings clarity to all things. It is your word that we must judge all things by. And it is your word that comes and brings life and life to the full by the power of your spirit, which brings illumination to the heart and the soul of every hearer that hears. Thank you, Lord, for this. Let it penetrate deeply like a two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and the innermost thoughts of every person. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So, So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2-4 2 to 4 says this. Paul says this Teach and urge these things. As you guys remember, you may have, if you've been tracking, Paul has said this many times in 1 Timothy. Teach and urge these things. He uses this phrase, these things, many times in the text. We, we read about it last week in, in, chapter ele- or in chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Command to teach these things. Uh, he says it in verse 6. In chapter four, if you put these things before the brothers, so he's constantly talking to Timothy and saying, hey, teach these things, urge these things, be focused on these things. So there's a dominant theme here going on with Paul when he talks about teaching and the content of what he is sharing and what he wants Timothy to share. So he says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine or teaching, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So we'll stop there, and um, I'll go ahead and actually, no, let me, actually, let me read it until, sorry, let me read until uh, verse seven, because that's kind of where we'll end. So So verse four, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy, and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. So let's let's, let's stop there. Uh, and then we'll, we might get back into the rest of it uh, going forward. But the first thing I want you to see here is Paul's relentless attention to sound teaching. He says, he says this, Paul is insistent that there is to be much dedication to the dispensing, to the declaring of the sound teachings of Christ to the church. In other words, the gospel truths of Christ should be continually declared, taught, and explained, and expounded to the church Why? We'll talk about it in a minute. To bring spiritual stability to every soul. That's right. She's preaching back there. Sometimes I probably sound like that to some of you. <laughs> Is he done yet? <laughs> Especially Mary. I know Mary says that all the time. So Paul continues to demonstrate this, this um, relentless attention to the truth, to, to the gospel of Christ. And, and he, he, he makes a connection here between sound doctrine or sound teaching and sound living. He, we talked about this last week, that there's this, this inextricable connection between sound teaching, understanding the truth, and sound living. That sound living is born out of sound teaching. And so if you are not receiving sound teaching, if you are not receiving sound teaching from the Word of God and allowing it to and, and be explained and expounded and, and challenging you to get into the, the truths of this Word, then, then inevitably your living will suffer. The sound living that you desire as a Christian will only be effective as, as much as you understand the teachings of Christ. So as Christ's gospel is preached, this is what Paul is saying, godliness is formed. How is it that a Christian sees godliness being formed in their life? It's through a continual understanding and grasping and desiring of the truths of the gospel of Christ. And this is what we read here in this text. Paul says this, teach these things, teach these things, this idea of teaching teaching is to impart instruction in the Greek. That might be a little small, so if you can't see that, that's fine. I probably messed that up a little bit. But it's to explain, it's to expound. So Paul is saying, teach these things, explain them, expound them, impart wisdom. But then he also says, urge as well, teach and urge. And that word urge is a Greek word, parakaleia, which if you guys are familiar with the Greek, that word is used by Jesus, to refer to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit draws near to us. The paraclete right? Pericleo means to call, or to summons, or to entreat, or beseech. So Paul is saying, teach these things, but also beseech your listener to respond to the truth that you're giving them. So we are not just to be passive listeners, when we come in, or passive readers, when we read scripture. But that reading or that listening or that teaching should promote a response to you to live for Christ, for you to be devoted to Christ, for you to be committed to Christ, and to live soundly for him. So he says, teach and urge these things. And what are these things? Essentially, in the context of the scripture, Paul lays out Sound living in verse, in chapter 5. So these things are this, how the church is to treat older men, how they are to treat widows, how they are to provide for their relatives and the responsibility for those that love and follow Christ to provide, if they can, for their relatives. Honoring elders or leaders in the church, responding to sin in the church, guarding against sin in his life, remaining pure and explaining the proper relationship between a bondservant and their master. That's what Paul is saying about teaching these things. So how the church conducts itself in these matters will be the measure of the gospel's effectiveness in their life. Paul is saying your godliness is going to be affected by what you hear and what is explained to you about the gospel. So a church that is living soundly, is a church that is embracing the sound teachings of christ essentially that is what paul is trying to get across to timothy he says to preach or teach and urge these things and then he moves on to a warning in light of this there's a sober warning that paul gives timothy and in connection because it's in the canon to the church and to us because this has not gone away in fact it will only continue to increase and increase as christ's return becomes more imminent at least that's what the scriptures allude to so he says this in verse four or in verse three he says if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our lord and the teaching that accords with godliness he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing so paul provides an advanced notice here he provides an advanced notice of those that will serve as threats to the church to you to me and our pursuit of the knowledge of christ and not only that it's according to godliness. Because as we pursue the knowledge of Christ, godliness will be formed. So we see here, Paul is providing this advance notice. He said, hey, take heart, this is coming, okay? Let me warn you now, this is going to happen. And with this, he draws Timothy's attention back to his calling in the first place. If you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, this is what, how Paul opens his letter to Timothy. He says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. That's where Timothy is in the church in Ephesus. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths. These are the things you, people make up about God, about Christ. They just make them up. <laughs> These myths that are per, pep, uh, perpetrated onto the church as truth, but have no grounding in God's word. He said, there will be people that will bring myths, and they will speak about endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. This is... Timothy's charge at the beginning of the letter and his responsibility to the church to do this. So Paul here is bringing Timothy's attention back to that. And he draws it to his attention. For he must be the forerunner, he must be the one that is to combat these teachings that do not square with the gospel. Paul says this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of Christ, then that in, that, in the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up. This idea of agree, in the Greek, it really means to come to, or to come forth, or to find a place, or establish in. So, in other words, what Paul is saying is like, anyone's coming to you with a teaching about Christ that's not coming from the truth, That's not established in God's word. That's not established in the commands that I'm giving you. It's not emanating from what I've taught you. Be careful. Test it. He says, if this teaching does not agree with the sound words of Christ, this idea of sound is this idea of to be in good health, to be well. Metaphorically, it is to be free from the mixture of error. It is to be strong. So in other words, uh, the Christian, the believer that believes in the sound teachings and doctrines of Christ will be strong, will be stable. Why? Because they are rooted in the firmness of the truth, not easily swayed away. This is so critical for the beginning of the church, but it is so vital even today for the church now. The only truth of Christ and the soundness of his words, these are the only things that will lead to true godliness and true sound living. Listen to Titus, what Paul says to Titus um, chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. See, when we are committed to the gospel and understanding it and hiding in our hearts and, uh, and learning it and expounding on it and desiring it, this, this, this commitment, this fidelity to the word produces stability in the Christian. It, it produces stability in every area of spiritual matters. A uh, uh, Fidelity to God's word and the gospel of Christ produces stability in our mental state, in our emotional state, in our relational state. Uh, the relational aspect of our lives it is thorough and complete to bring stability to every part of the wholeness of a human being that god's word is never not able to produce stability and health in the mind and in the heart of every believer it is up to the task it is perfect in its ability it is not lacking anything but has all it needs, all the ingredients of wholeness and health and stability for the the believer come from the gospel of Christ. So consequently, those who pervert the gospel, those who teach a different gospel, those who teach a different Christ, those who propose false words, they promote a twisted understanding. A specifically a twisted understanding of godliness which will lead believers into instability, not stability. So let me say this. The Bible talks about this over and over with one voice here's the beautiful thing about god's word is that it never contradicts itself and not only that it's constantly proving itself the scriptures have no other uh, no other outside source it's not dependent on any outside source to prove itself everything that the scriptures speak of all of the truths that are dispensed by the, by, by the word of god are proven by the word of god in other words god never contradicts himself in what he says And so the idea of this that Paul is referring to, this idea of false teaching and false teachers, is a dominant theme in the New Testament. It's like the scriptures are speaking with one voice with regards to this. And and, and let me just say this, that Paul, he's acting as a shepherd here. And he's telling Timothy to act as a shepherd. Because what does a shepherd do? A shepherd, primarily, when it tends to the flock, it's for protection. And so Paul is saying, I'm telling you these things, and I'm warning you about these things, so that you can protect your flock, so that they do not become unstable, so that they are not drawn away from the truth of the gospel. And so Paul here is, is is showing his the characteristics in his heart that is in nature a shepherding heart and saying to Timothy, Shepherd your people well by giving them the truth and 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 securing them and protecting them from what is not true. Because the Bible is clear, there will be a growing magnitude and multitude, a rapid increase in the existence of false teachers whose desire is to promote a false or diminished Christ, a false Christianity, a distorted gospel that will be stripped of its power. This is what happens when the gospel comes distorted, when the gospel becomes stripped of its power, what it does is, is, it, is it becomes severed from the truth, it actually becomes dismembered from Christ himself. It's like the gospel in theory is promoted as something completely disconnected from what the word of God says. So the power of the gospel is stripped. It is severed from its truth when it's distorted, when it's presented in a false way. And so Paul is so adamant about this because For his hearers, he understands no one can come to Christ if they're being preached a different and distorted gospel. You cannot come to Christ with a false gospel. You must understand the dynamics and the components of the gospel to understand what it is that Christ has done and what he's done for you so that you can believe. And so if the gospel becomes distorted, and polluted and adulterated and ripped from its truth, it loses all effectiveness. It cannot accomplish anything. So what Paul is saying here is that these people who will come, they'll show on the surface an allegiance to Christ. Right? They're not anti christ they're not against Christ. <laughs> they will show in the surface, their form will take uh, an idea, uh, uh, the idea of representing Christ. But what they declare and what they teach and what they model will not be established or sourced in the truth. It will be a form of spirituality steeped in secret knowledge, not in the knowledge of scripture. Secret knowledge. It will be ruined by the passion of men. It will be uh, simply subjective experiences. It will be hyper-emotionalism, not rooted in truth. And it will fail to build its foundation on the objective, solid, unwavering, stable truth of the gospel. This is the dominant theme of the New Testament in many ways. If you look closely, you'll see and notice this theme. You'll notice emerging these threats that the church must be very aware of. There will be threats from false teachers and false prophets and false apostles resulting in a deception in the last days. In fact, every New Testament author writes about it, Christ highlights it, and every book except Philemon addresses it. So it would be wise for us also to understand what it is that the scriptures say about it. So I'm gonna give you a survey. I'm gonna show you from the scriptures how important this theme is, how important it is to Christ, how important it is to the apostles, how important it is to the right understanding of the gospel. So I'm going to start with Jesus. This is what Jesus says Matthew 24, 24 to 25. He says this False Christs and false apostles will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Pay attention. Signs and wonders are not the markings of those that are operating in the power of God. Not that they're not, it just doesn't mean they have to be. Signs and wonders come from God. But what Jesus is saying here is is that there will be false signs and wonders. So in other words, don't look to the signs and wonders to validate whether someone is coming from God and speaking for God. Matthew 7, 15, beware, this is Jesus, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What is he saying? You're not going to know. You're going to be really discerning. They're going to come and they're going to look innocent. They're going to look like they're on your side. They're going to look like the rest of us. They'll be sheep but they will inside be ravenous wolves seeking to devour whatever they can. Romans 16, 17, 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for these who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15. And what I am doing, Paul speaking about his own ministry, I will continue to do as an apostle of Christ one who was sent directly by Christ. In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. In other words, I'm going to continue doing what I do. Why? To refute all of those who want to take my name, who want to take my office, who want to take my authority, and boast in what is not theirs in order to turn you from the truth. So there were those who were coming that were claiming the same authority as Paul. Paul. And Paul saying, that's what they boast in. But he said, I'll keep preaching. I'll keep going. I'll keep planting churches. Why? So that I can undermine the claims of those who do not work on the same terms as I do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, listen to this, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan's not walking into the church with false teaching, going, Hey, here I am. Come follow me. And leave that gospel. That's not how it works. Satan's number one job is to undermine the truth of the gospel. And he'll do it through, through deception. He'll present a gospel that's just not in line completely with the one we find in scripture. That'll be sort of our time spent next week. He says this, so it is no surprise his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will uh, comprehend or correspond with their deeds. In other words, their works lead to death and that's all they will receive. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. In other words, asceticism is just a, uh, 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 an extreme form of self denial. Insisting on asceticism and worshiping of angels. I see that a lot. Going on in detail about visions. I see that a lot. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. look at this, not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Hebrews 13, 8 and 9, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. In other words, Jesus isn't changing, and so his revelation is not changing. And so if someone comes to you or teaches you that they've learned something new about Christ that you can't find in the scriptures, you must reject it even though it sounds spiritual, even though it sounds good, even though it sounds sincere. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. He does not change. Therefore, the revelation that you've been given does not change. It does not need to be added to. But people will try to add to it in order to prove their own sense of spirituality. They'll say, I've had these experiences and these things, and I've, I've done this, and I've gone here, and I've been transported here, and I've, you know, I've had all these amazing experiences with Jesus. And he told me this, and I found out that, and, and, and on and on and on it goes. But the writer of Hebrews says, do not be led away by diverse, which means Different. Strange teachings, for Christ does not change. Titus one to 10-11, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, meaning the Judaizers who come and were requiring circumcision for uh, salvation, he says they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. In other words, teachers are going to come and their teaching is not going to be in your best interest. They're going to teach you things about Christ that aren't true in order to gain for themselves what they desire, whether it's fame, money, treasure, applause, acceptance, whatever. 2 Peter 2, this is the last one, 1 to 3. This is what he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, secretly, without warning, without notice, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Denying the master, you may say to yourself, denying the master? How can someone profess Christ and deny the master? It's easy. In their profession, they may say, I believe, but in their teaching, it's not centered on the gospel at all. It's centered on other things. And Paul gives an example of what those are going forward in this text. But I want you to understand that this morning. I want you to see how the scriptures speak with one voice and there's a dominant theme running through the word of God for the church. To watch out, to be prepared, to discern, to test. Every teaching, every spirit. We'll talk about that probably next week. I want to take us to Jeremiah 23. and I think we'll end here this morning. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah, who was a prophet of the Old Testament and was prophesying as his people were found to be in captivity uh, because they had dishonored God, because they had um, strayed from God, because they had encountered and they had engaged in idolatry, seeking what only God can give from other gods. And they were in Babylon. They were were cast out of the land because of their rebellion to God. And I want you to listen to some of these words that Jeremiah speaks about regarding these teachers, regarding these prophets. Because wherever God's people are and wherever the truth resides, no matter what part of time, no matter what age, no matter what season, there will always be present those who come and will claim to speak for God that do not hear God. The same is true in Jeremiah's time, and the same is true today. But I want you to hear some of these words that Jeremiah has for these prophets that claim to be speaking for God. This is the Lord speaking. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets and prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord, They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Does that sound familiar? I look around today and I listen to those who claim to speak for God and claim to have words for people from God. And I I notice a pattern that, that, that everyone is prophesying your success. Everyone is prophesying your good fortune. That is the dominant theme today in the evangelical church of those who claim to speak for God. And yet we are warned in Jeremiah 23. Do not listen to those people who only give you words that fill you with vain hope. Why? Because they speak out of their own desire, not out of the truth and the revelation of the Lord. They continually, they say continually, to to the spies of the word of God, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who suddenly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Listen to what else he says here. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for all. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. In other words, don't rely on the dreams of those who claim to speak for God, but understand and pay attention to their words. Does it line up with the character of God? Does it line up with the track record of God? Does it line up with God's own self-disclosure in his word? He goes on to say, what has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that brings breaks the rock in pieces? It is the word of the Lord that breaks the hearts of men and women that, that call people back to him. It is the word of the Lord that brings conviction to the heart of all who seek their own agenda in life. It is the word of the Lord that comes and brings conviction to every soul that causes people to desire God and to turn back to him. The prophets in Jeremiah's time were saying, it is well with you. It is only your success that the Lord is concerned about. But the word of the Lord comes like a hammer and breaks the rock into pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Oh. <laughs> who steal my words from one another. In other words, these false prophets, all, this is all they're doing, and, and this is so applicable to today. This is all they're doing. They're looking at what all the other prophets are saying and they're just repeating what they're saying in other words. This is what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord says. He says, they take my words or supposedly my words, they claim they're my words and they steal them from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, those words that do not come from me cannot profit my people. Those words that do not come from me, that others claim come from me, cannot bring you stability. They are not sound words rooted in the truth, but they simply come from the desires of men's hearts. And so that is what Paul is essentially reiterating to Timothy in the church in Ephesus. Don't believe those who come around and teach a different truth and a different gospel and a different Christ than the one that you have learned from me, the one that you have learned from the truth. Because if you do, it will bring spiritual instability. You will not know God, you will not know Christ because you will be presented with a different one. And so, as you can see, This threat, it continues today. It continues in Paul's day and it continues in our day. And so as a shepherd, as a protector, as one that would desire to see everyone in this family stable, rooted in Christ, the warning is real that we must test and discern and not judge sincerity. To simply rely on the sincerity of one's message is to abandon discernment. And so, just as Paul wrote to Timothy and to the church, be vigilant, have your eyes open, be attentive to the truth so that you will not be led astray, so that you will not believe something that is false. So next week, what we're going to do in part two, we're going to look at the second part of this teaching that Paul gives Timothy we're gonna look at the ingredients or what it looks like when this stuff presents itself to the church. A specific example, and then I'm going to present to you a survey of what I see going on right now and how we must be looking out for and being careful about some of the things that are being perpetuated by the church that are not in line with the truth, and will easily cause someone to lose their stability in Christ. So we're going to look at that next week. We're going to look at verse 4 through 10. If you want to read it this week, you should. I think it would be good. But verse 4 through 10 will show us the ingredients of those things, the ingredients of the teaching and the teachers, what we must look out for, and also the applicable part, which is what must we look out for today in our own time as the church as we live today. So So let's...